We've been speaking for many Sundays now on the subject of the God of all comforts. Christ communicates to us His delight to do God's will and the joy that He has in it. Christ prays that we will enter into that joy of His. Just before He died for us, Jesus told us of the Father's love for Christ and for all who trust in Him. Jesus promised us that the Spirit of God would come down and indwell us. Jesus promised He would raise us all up from the grave at the end. Jesus told us He's preparing a place for us in glory, that He will come again and take us there to be with Him forever. In all of this, there is great joy to be had. Christ instructed us to love the brethren, to love the Father, and of His own love for us. He urged us to be obedient to His commandments because of that love. In other words, we are to be a joyous, obedient band of brothers with Christ, our Prince and our Kinsman Redeemer, knit together in joy, love, faith, and courage. The purpose is that in the end, all the joyous things Christ promised will be accomplished in every one of us who have trusted in Him. Christ longs for us to enter into His joy in all this, into His delight to do God's will. Christ told us all these things while He was with us for a reason. Now come I to thee, that is the Father, and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. As Christ redeems us by His righteousness and bloody sacrifice in our place, the comfort of God sets in upon us as we grasp the unspeakable riches of His love and grace toward us. Christ's joy is in saving His loved ones, His sheep. He told us this in His example of the ninety and nine sheep where one of them was lost. When He finds that lost sheep, He lays it on His shoulders rejoicing and brings it home to the fold and calls His friends and neighbors together and exclaims, Rejoice with Me, for I have found My sheep that was lost. In another place, Jesus describes His people as little children who have trusted in Him. Jesus makes it clear, unless we are converted and become like little children, we cannot be saved. Now this is something, this is not something we can do to ourselves. Only the Spirit can change our minds and hearts. We cannot be saved if we are trusting in ourselves rather than coming to Jesus in our helplessness and hopelessness and weakness and simplicity and crying out to Him as the only one who can save us. Jesus issues a dire warning that whoever offends or harms or tries to lead astray one of the little ones that trust in Him, it would be better for that person to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus concludes the discussion this way, It is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Christ is speaking of all the people God has given to Him and will come to Him and who Christ has sworn to save for all time. He is speaking of all the little ones for whom He died, all the sheep that the Father gave to Him. Christ has sworn to God and to us that He will not lose a single one of us. His sacrifice has irrevocably redeemed us and His intercession can never fail to keep His people safe 
all the way to our resurrection. Notice that Christ has here repeated that glorious statement of God's will for us as found in John 6 and Hebrews 10. God's will cannot be broken and Christ delights to do God's will. Christ's delight is to do away with animal sacrifices that cannot save and to offer Himself as the only sacrifice that never fails to save all of His sheep, all of God's little children. God's delight, Christ's delight, and the saints' delight are therefore all of one entangled together. No wonder Christ prayed that His joy should be fulfilled in His people. His prayer cannot fail for any of His people. Hopefully next week we will conclude the focus on this particular text in Hebrews chapter 10 at verse 7 where Christ is quoted from the Old Testament as saying, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. The Psalm 40 adds the description that Christ delights to do the will of His Father, which is to be made an offering to save His poor people. Christ's joy must be fulfilled in us. What He joys in must be accomplished in every one of His people. So you see that first His joy is fulfilled. His joy is fulfilled in what happens, in what is brought to pass in His people. And when His joy is fulfilled, it floods over us as well. It floods over us as well. And it is fulfilled in a joyous way in us. And what brings joy to Christ in the end are the same things that bring joy to us all. We come to share with Jesus a common enthusiasm. The sacrifice of Jesus that takes away sin and reconciles us to a holy God and justifies us, declaring us to be perfect before Him in Christ and rescues our bodies from sin and death and corruption one day. A principal means used by God to fulfill Christ's joy in us is the miraculous work of the Holy Ghost. I remember preaching like ten sessions on the work of the Holy Ghost starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul says, I'll have you to know, brethren, that no man says that Christ is Lord except it be by the Holy Ghost. And this tells us that the greatest work of the Holy Ghost is to convert our hearts and minds to acknowledge who the Lord Jesus is. That Jesus Christ is Lord. And people can mouth the words, but they can't actually mean them unless it is by the work of the Holy Ghost. Well, a lot of modern Christians say that's not fair, that we all have free will, we can say whatever we need to say. But that's not what the Scriptures teach. The Scriptures teach us that we're dead in our sin and we don't have the ability to come to Christ unless the Father draws us, unless the Holy Ghost changes our hearts. So this miraculous work of the Holy Ghost, by Him we are quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Quickened means made alive. 
We were made alive, we who had been dead in trespasses and sins, and brought to faith in our Lord Jesus. Faith is His gift to us that we might believe in the only one who can save us. But it doesn't stop there. For God sends the Holy Ghost to indwell every believer, to knit our hearts unto Him, to adopt us by His Spirit as His sons. And this is why Paul talks about, you've received the Spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And not only do we cry, Abba, Father, the Holy Ghost indwelling us cries, Abba, Father, thereby we are doubly knit to our Father in heaven by the work of the Holy Ghost in our hearts. But also, the Holy Ghost indwells us to comfort us by drawing us to the knowledge of all the things that bring joy to Christ and that therefore bring joy unto us. And Christ promised the night before He was betrayed that this would happen. You see, up until that point, they had the presence of the Lord Jesus. But soon, the Lord Jesus would die and rise again and ascend into glory. He would be with us all spiritually, but we would not be able to see Him in a tangible way until His glorious return at the end. But consider these verses, some of which we read earlier this morning, where Christ promised that God would send the Comforter, the Holy Ghost. And so, there is an agent that is God dwelling in all of His people that operates comfort in our hearts and in our minds and in our bodies, even in conformity with God's promise that He is the God of all comforts. He goes to extremes. He takes it to extremes by means of the Holy Ghost. For example, in John 14, at verse 16, we read, And I, that is Christ, pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him. For He dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. So Christ is making it clear that the Comforter, who the Father will send in His name, is functionally equivalent to Christ coming to us in spirit and dwelling with us. And in other places, He says that the Father and the Son will come into your house and sup with you and dwell with you. But here, He makes this promise of the Comforter, another Comforter, that is one besides the physical presence of Christ. Now we have the spiritual Comforter, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Truth. Only believers can receive this indwelling Spirit because they cannot know Him and they do not know Him, but the Lord's people do. And then in John 14 at verse 25, we read this, These things have I spoken unto you being yet present with you. So he's talking about the things he's been reciting to them. All the things we've reviewed several times before. These things have I spoken to you being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in My name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, 
whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, some people will say that this is only speaking of the apostles, that the Holy Ghost inspired them to write the things down that they perhaps couldn't recall, but the Holy Ghost would remind them of it. But it also has application to all of us. The Holy Ghost teaches His people from the Word and brings things to our remembrance, whatsoever I've said unto you. That's our problem. We have really poor memories. And as we get older, our memories fade, don't they? And the unimportant things of this world crowd out from our minds the important things that we should remember. But the Holy Ghost that God has sent to us and dwells in every believer will prompt us to remember the things that be of God. And if you read God's Word and meditate upon it, that will be the fodder which the Holy Ghost works upon to call to mind the things that be of Christ so that we will not be as forgetful as we naturally are and so that these important matters that bring us joy and comfort will be raised to our knowledge, to our remembrance, more and more. And then finally, John 16 at verse 12, I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself. But whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. Now this is, of course, mostly referring to the prophetic spirit that worked in Paul and Peter and the Apostle John and Jude, to write down prophecies which had been foretold but in greater detail and specificity by the Holy Spirit. But it also is something that He shows to us. He shall glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine and show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are Mine, therefore said I that He shall take of Mine and shall show it unto you. So here is the educational purpose and work of the Holy Ghost. Once again, for everyday believers to draw forth from the Scriptures the truth, to impress those truths on our hearts, to help us to see new vistas and new angles on those truths, to bring out, as the householder did, new treasures and old, to marvel over and to reminisce over and to rejoice over. So this is the work of the Holy Ghost, the new comforter or the other comforter that works in the hearts of believers miraculously to operate the great comfort of our God in His loved ones. You see, the God of all comforts not only comforts us by making Christ our high priest forever with His dying that does save us, and His promise to raise us from the dead to everlasting life and glory, God not only does all that, but He institutionalizes the comfort in the person of the Holy Spirit. He instantiates that comfort in the Holy Ghost who He sends to indwell believers so that we have, to use a simple term, we have by the Holy Ghost, an engine of comfort, a factory of comfort. But we must not think of the Holy Ghost as a mechanical thing. He is a person. 
just like the Father and the Son. And His main purpose is conviction and working changes of hearts in poor sinners to come to Christ and carrying on our sanctification and working in us to bring the fruit of the Spirit rather than the works of the law. And to see to it that the joy of Christ is fulfilled in us and wells up in us because of what the Holy Ghost recalls to our minds and to our hearts. God instantiates that comfort in the Holy Ghost who He sends to indwell believers. So we are not left by ourselves, you see. This is what Jesus is stressing in those last chapters of the Gospel of John, that He will not leave us comfortless. He will come to us in the Holy Spirit. We will not be left to ourselves, but God dwells with us in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We're not left by ourselves to remember the comfort of God, but the Holy Ghost is actively comforting us by prompting us to recall how God comforts us and to instill in us the fulfilled joy of Christ over us. The Holy Ghost is always stirring these things up in our minds and in our hearts. Christ has not left us alone. And you will find, if you think about it, that all the characters of Christ the Holy Ghost conveys to believers, for the Spirit of Christ rests in us and takes of Christ's and shows it unto us. And so we have this unity by the Holy Ghost with Christ that we are united in rejoicing over the same things. Our Lord Jesus' salvation of us by the death that He died, in which God delighted, Christ delighted to do His will, and we delight that His will was done on our behalf to save us. If it weren't for the Holy Ghost's power working in us, we wouldn't believe the gospel. We wouldn't receive the gift of salvation. We wouldn't be filled with joy unspeakable because we would still be dead in our sins. But the Holy Ghost works miraculously to plant in us all the things necessary to instigate the joy and rejoicing of Christ for salvation. His dying is fulfilled. His joy is fulfilled in us by the power of the Holy Ghost. Like Peter said, it is joy unspeakable just to contemplate what glory is to come. Now, the Holy Ghost works the joy of Christ in us and through us. The Scriptures teach us that one of the miraculous works of the Holy Ghost in believers is joy in our hearts. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit working in us, according to Paul. Our joy flows from the mighty working of the Spirit in us. And is a further example of how the Holy Ghost takes the things of Christ and shows them unto us. All through the Scripture, the principal rejoicing of God's people is in His great salvation. Objectively speaking, there can be nothing greater to rejoice about. We are redeemed from the law's judgment and curse, rescued from eternal judgment unto everlasting life and the glory of heaven forever. What could possibly be better than all of that? 
What else could we possibly rejoice over that much? The Holy Ghost is responsible for our joy in God's salvation because He works in us to believe it and receive it. But joy in our salvation is a particular part of the character of Christ also. And since the Spirit conveys to us the things of Christ, naturally the Spirit shows us Christ's joy in God's salvation as well. The Lord Jesus rejoiced in the gospel and in His work of redemption for us. And He urged His people to rejoice in them as well. He rejoices greatly when He finds a lost sheep and brings them home again. It was Christ's joy in saving sinners that drove Him to and through the awful agony of the cross. Christ prayed that we might have His joy fulfilled in us. And the Holy Ghost's job is to see to that. Not the shepherd only, but the sheep also rejoice in being found by Christ. The power of the Holy Ghost fills us with joy and peace in believing. Indeed, the Holy Ghost works powerfully in God's people to prepare us, convince us, and instigate in us Christ's joy in our salvation. Thus our God has given us so great a Savior, so great a High Priest, one appointed by a solemn oath by God, that Jesus might replace the animal sacrifices which could never take away our sin with His own one perfect offering of Himself. And Christ delights to delight His Father and is filled with great joy in doing so, in saving His lost ones, you and me, and then to work that conversion of glory, that conversion of joy, to comfort in us after Jesus ascended to glory. The Father and the Son sent the Holy Ghost to indwell His redeemed ones, to knit our hearts together in love and obedience, that we might all be entangled together with the Father and the Son in love and peace and joy. I thought of that verse at the end of Psalm 40, which we read this morning, after Christ describes His humiliation and His taking on of our sin as if it's His own and the sorrows and the troubles that He faced on the cross cried out for deliverance. But then in verse 16, Jesus said this, Let all those that seek Thee rejoice and be glad in Thee. Let such as love Thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. And that is the command that we have joyfully to receive every Lord's day and every day, all through the day, all through the night, that we are to rejoice in the salvation of God and cry out, let the Lord be magnified. Until that day when Christ raises us up unto the physical perfection at the last day. I love the words of that hymn that we sing so often. The heavens shall glow with splendor, but brighter far than they. The saints shall shine in glory as Christ shall them array. But the beauty of the Savior shall dazzle every eye in the crowning day that's coming by and by. Our pains shall then be over. We'll sin and sigh no more. Behind us all of sorrow and naught but joy before the joy of our Redeemer as we to Him are nigh in the crowning day that's coming by and by. Oh, that crowning day is coming. 
coming by and by when our Lord shall come in power and glory from on high. Oh, the glorious sight shall gladden each waiting watchful eye in the crowning day that's coming by and by. So let's give thanks for the Lord's table and for the symbols that He left us to remind us of that means by which, by His awful sacrifice, He has purchased our redemption and cleansed us from all unrighteousness when He laid down His body to be made an offering for sin at Calvary and when He poured out His blood to make an atonement, a propitiation for our sin unto God that God might be satisfied with Jesus, that He might therefore be satisfied with us who've trusted in Jesus and that He might declare us to be righteous for Jesus' sake and not for anything we've done ourselves. Righteous, that is, perfectly obedient and harmless and true and just, all in the Lord Jesus and by and through the sacrifice He made. Let's give thanks first for the bread that pictures the body of Christ broken for us. Oh God, our Father, we come to You rejoicing in the name of Your dear Son and thanking You and praising You for the sacrifice that the Lord Jesus made for us on the cross. We thank You that You did not withhold Him from being delivered up for us, that You spared Him not, but delivered Him up for us all. We thank You that He was willing and delighted to do Your will. That is, to shove aside the worthless animal sacrifices that only pointed to the actual sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. Thank You that He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, and that He did make a perfect sacrifice and reconciliation for all the people that You gave Him, all Your loved ones, and not a single one will be lost. The sacrifice has taken away our sin without fail, and we give You the praise for it, and thank You for the bread that He left us. Thank You that He was, even though He faced in His humanity, the horror of the cross just a few hours later. Nevertheless, He thought of His people and our need to remember and to rejoice and to give thanks for so great a salvation as He was about to work for us on the cross. And we thank You that He cried out, It is finished, that all the guilt and sin were gone from His people and that You had accepted his sacrifice. Thank you that you raised him in power and glory from the grave, but that his body still bears the marks of the wounds of the sacrifice that he made, that we might rejoice for all eternity as we are reminded of what our dear Savior did to save us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And the Scriptures tell us that on the night our Lord was betrayed, He took the bread, He blessed it, he broke it and He said, Take and eat. This is My body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Let's give thanks now for the cup. I'd like to ask my father if he'd give thanks for the cup that pictures the blood of the Lord Jesus shed for our atonement. And the Scriptures tell us that after they had supped, Jesus took the cup and He blessed it and He said, Drink ye all of it. This cup is the new covenant in My blood for the remission of sin. Do it as often as you do it 
in remembrance of me. And the Scriptures tell us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do preach the Lord's death until He comes. Let's stand and sing number 97 in the black book. Name of Jesus, highest name. Name that earth and heaven adore. From the heart of God it came. Leads me to God's heart once more. Name of Jesus, dearest name. Bread of heaven and balm of love. Oil of gladness, surest claim. To the treasure stored above. Only Jesus, fairest name. Life and rest and peace and bliss. Jesus, evermore the same. He is mine and I am His. Number 97.